0: Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church my name is Jaime I'm one of the pastors here and I'm so glad to welcome you here this morning for those of you that are new or are relatively new to our church community we are one church in two locations so we have this community that gathers uh, uh, here in North Chatham we have a community that gathers at Pittsburgh, and also we have the community that joins us online so welcome to those of you who are joining online Normally on Sunday mornings, I am at Pittsburgh with our folks down at Chatham Mills, just south of the Haw, uh, and Alex Kirk is here in North Chatham, so if this is your first Sunday with us and you haven't had a chance to meet Alex, I want to encourage you to come back uh, and spend some time listening to Alex's teaching and getting to meet him. He's a great guy, but every once in a while, we like to switch it up so that I get to spend some time with y'all north of the Haw, and Alex gets to venture uh, south of the Haw as well, and this happens to be one of those Sundays. But I'm glad you're here. If you do happen to be a guest, or if I haven't met you before, at the end of the service, I'm going to be just outside uh, these doors, uh, it, just in the in the wall in the back, and I'd love to say hi to you. So come, say hi. If you do happen to be a guest, I'll have a welcome bag for you and a welcome gift for you. So make sure you come by. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how you ended up in our church Actor Chadwick Boseman uh, passed away just around this time three years ago after a hard battle of cancer. He brought to life the character of King T'Challa, the Black Panther, in a number of movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including uh, the Black Panther movie. And he connected with audiences in ways that other superhero movies and other people portraying superheroes really hadn't in recent memory. Now, Chadwick didn't live a particularly long life, and he didn't spend a lot of time uh, investing in sort of those prime starring roles. But in the short time that he was in that position, he brought to life a number of characters from history and fiction that were incredibly significant. Of course, we've mentioned the Black Panther, but he also brought to life on the screen uh, James Brown, Jackie Robinson, Third Good Marshall, among others. That's quite a slate in such a short period of time. A number of stories were told in the days after his death, and one of them had to do with a pivotal moment in his life and his development as an actor. It happened while he was a student at Howard University. He and a few of his classmates and colleagues had gotten together an audition for a prestigious acting intensive in Europe. It was very hard to get in, but they ended up getting selected. They were among the small group of people who got invited to come spend that time in in Europe. It was the chance of a lifetime at that stage in any young actor's development. But they found out that the financial cost was high, almost prohibitive. And it felt like the opportunity was going to slip away from their fingers because they couldn't afford it. Well, a teacher at the school and a mentor of Chadwick's found out about this. And she called a friend and started telling him about the situation. The conversation took maybe about five minutes when the friend just said, Okay, I got this. I got this money. And this friend paid for Chadwick and all of his colleagues to be able to go to this acting intensive. The teacher and mentor was Felicia Rashad, known to some of us as Claire Huxtable from the Cosby Show. And the person who paid for the class was none other than Denzel Washington. So you had this brief, meaningful career and life from Chadwick that in some ways was enabled at a pivotal moment by the generosity of others. It's a great reminder of the kind of opportunities that can be taken advantage of, and even the challenges that can be met when we are connected to a network that is marked by generosity. Connected to a network that is marked by generosity. Not just generous in finances, but generous in advocacy. Generous in opportunities. Generous with time. A community that is generous not just from the hands, but generous from the heart. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the kind of inner strength and resilience that it takes to meet the challenges and opportunities that life brings before us. Not just the ones that come from adversity, but the challenges and opportunities that we welcome, like when we take on a new project or engage in a new challenge at work or in life but also the kind of inner strength and resilience that we need when we find our commitment to our faith challenged because we are, happen to be in unwelcome or inhospitable or even antagonistic environments. We've been looking at the things that Scripture says are true about us as individuals and that are true about us as a community that lead us to live resilient lives. Our goal throughout this series has been that we would be a resilient people with a resilient core, as a resilient community to impact for resilience the greater community around us. And today, we're going to talk about how being part of generous communities helps us meet the challenges and opportunities of both life and faith. And because generosity isn't limited to just tangible resources, I want to think of generosity as having open hands and an open heart. And I want to say that resilient communities are marked by those things. Resilient communities are marked by both open hands and an open heart. And in order to ground this in Scripture, we're going to take a brief survey of one of the characters that we find in the pages of the ancient text and see through his life different forms of generosity and their fruit. If you happen to have a Bible with you, we're going to start in Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in Acts Uh, The whole time, but we'll start in chapter 4 in verse 32. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you and don't have access to one, it'll be on the screen in just a second. But Acts chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 32. Here we go. All the believers were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. One of the things that stands out, one of the things that stands out in all the accounts of the early community of Jesus' followers was that there was a good bit of financial generosity as part of the community. And this passage highlights that. It paints a picture of a community that was diverse in terms of socioeconomic status, and in that diversity, it is thriving. It is thriving. And it thrives because the needs of the people in that community are met. Every need is met. And needs are able to be met because there is a voluntary giving so that there would always be enough for whoever happened to have a need. There is a powerful move of God in this community. And part of that powerful move of God is the generosity. Part of that powerful move of God is the open-handed nature of that community. Part of the powerful move of God is that they created a situation where no one who finds themselves in need stays in need. But the needs are met. People are flourishing in the midst of this powerful move of God, in the midst of this open-handedness. Because where there is generosity people flourish. Where there is generosity, people flourish and communities thrive. I mean, think of the alternative. Think of what it's like where people are stingy, where there are clenched fists and closed hearts. In those situations, in those environments, there is suspicion. There is disconnectedness. Things wither. Now, there are a few things that contribute... To this ongoing and sustaining environment of generosity. One is that there seems to be a plurality of people that are giving. So it doesn't just depend on one person or on a small group of people, but there seem to be lots of people who are giving. It would appear that the giving is both voluntary and also normative. What I mean by that is it's habitual. It's understood that as part of this community, people are going to give, but it doesn't feel like anyone is telling anyone, you have to give this much right now. There is both voluntary and normative giving. And what comes across because of that is that this leads to a situation where no one is or feels shortchanged. They didn't give to the point where they were now lacking. The passage tells us there were no needy people among them. Now, one that might be easy to overlook... But I think is the key to ongoing open hands and open hearts is what it says in verse 33. That with great power, the apostles continue to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They are living as a community in light of the resurrection. They are living in resurrection power. And living in the reality of the resurrection alters our perspective on everything. Living in the reality of the resurrection changes how we think of every single part of life. In particular to this, the resurrection opens the door to the eternal perspective. And in opening the door to the eternal perspective, it defeats the lie of scarcity. And the lie of scarcity is one of the strongest enemies to an open hand and an open heart. It's one of the strongest enemies to a culture of generosity. Because the fear of not being, of there not being enough, enough money, enough time, enough resources, enough talent, enough experience, enough relationship, enough anything can paralyze us and keep us from fully opening our hands and our hearts. Without the resurrection, time runs out. Without the resurrection, life runs out. Without the resurrection, things run out. But in light of eternity... We get to take a different perspective. We get to take a different perspective. Now, it doesn't mean that we're careless. It doesn't mean that we're not good stewards, but it does open our hands and open our hearts in a different way than what it would be without the resurrection perspective. And for this first century community, it helped sustain the culture of generosity. It helped sustain the environment of open hands and open hearts. And as an example of the generosity in this community, we are presented with this man, This man named Joseph. Now, the author of Acts clearly considers him a model of financial generosity because after giving sort of a broad sweep of what generosity looks like in the community, he highlights this man, Joseph. Now, does him selling the field mean that he gave up all that he owed? Probably not. All that he owned? Probably not. Does it mean that he put himself in a situation where he was lacking? Clearly not, because we're told already that in the community, nobody lacked. But he clearly did what was his to do what was his what was in his hands to contribute he gave and it led and contributed to the flourishing and thriving of the community and it's not just that he's financially generous no there's more to it than that. Note that he doesn't go by the name Joseph within the community. he came into the community as Joseph but as, as time as time passed with him in the community, the leaders start to give him another name. They start to refer him as Barnabas, a name that's connected to encouragement, which likely means that he was exemplary in his encouragement, that it was a signature part of his life. It means that if you ever mention Barnabas, everyone would think, oh, you mean that guy who encourages, the encourager. When you said Barnabas... You may have met Joseph, but you immediately knew who they were talking about because it was such a part of his life that everyone would know. If you were given a nickname right now based on a trait or a quality or a behavior that people would automatically associate with you, what would it be? What would your nickname be? How would you be known in this community? How would you be known in every community? Would it it be different depending on what community it would be? If we're honest, some of those nicknames are probably well-earned, but probably not ones we want, not ones we want to keep. So now reflect on what you would want your nickname to be. How would you want to be known? If Joseph became known as the guy who encourages What would you like to be known as? What would you like to cultivate a reputation for? Well, perhaps today the invitation for you is to start being generous with that. If you want to be known as a generous person, start being generous. If you you want to be known as an encourager, start encouraging. Start being generous with your encouragement. If you want to be known as someone who is present, then start showing up. If you want to be known as someone who is loving, then open your heart. Open your heart. I appreciate that in framing a thriving and generous community where people flourish and the spirit is at work, the author of Acts makes sure to clue us into the fact that it's not just open hands, but it's open hearts that mark this community. A few chapters later, the story has moved a little bit in Acts, and we come to know the man that we would later call the Apostle Paul. He's entered the picture. Now, Paul has developed a reputation as a persecutor of Christians. Violence has been done to Christians, and Paul has been connected to it. But now he's become a follower of Jesus, and he's trying to integrate into the community. He's trying to become a key part of the community. And, of course, there is resistance. And here's what it says in Acts 9. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Of course they were afraid. What if he was, what if this was some sort of tactic, some sort of ploy to sort of integrate himself into the leadership of the community to sort of out them and finally eradicate the Christian community? Of course, they're skeptical. I would have put Saul or Paul on probation. I would have quarantined them somewhere and said, we'll watch you for like a year and then maybe you can come to dinner. Maybe, maybe you can bring the mac and cheese. Maybe, but Barnabas is there. Barnabas is there, the encourager. He's heard the story of how Saul met Jesus. He's heard the stories of how Saul has been transformed by that encounter, and he recognizes God's work in Saul's life. So with his open hands and his open hearts, he opens a door. He opens a door for Saul to give him access to the leaders of the church. Now, Paul is a sharp guy. Paul can speak compellingly. He's already spoken compellingly. But he is not the one who speaks up for himself. Barnabas is the one who speaks on his behalf. Barnabas is generous in this moment. With his credibility and with his advocacy, he makes his case so that Paul would be brought into the community. When we are generous with our credibility and with our advocacy, we open doors for others That would otherwise remain closed. It's like he's saying, don't make this decision based on what you know about Saul. Make the decision about Saul based on what you know about me. About me. Based on what you know about me. You know me as generous. You know me as an encourager. You know me as open-handed. You know what my reputation is. I am lending my reputation to this man. Let's welcome him in. My grandfather spent a good bit of his free time, little as there was while he was uh, working, in the bowling alley. Now, he bowled in a couple of leagues, but he would always spend countless hours outside of his bowling time, either playing dominoes with people or sitting and chatting with them or walking around sort of checking in on all the other leagues that were playing and sort of getting a sense of what the culture of bowling was coming to be in Puerto Rico. He particularly liked to see sort of the emerging youths and young adults who were getting into the sport and were having opportunities, and he would encourage them along oftentimes there would be these international tournaments and people from puerto rico would qualify and would be invited to go and every once in a while there'd be a young person either just out of high school and college or just out of college that would find themselves invited to go but unable to afford it and my grandfather would always find out once he passed away we didn't know this before he passed away but when he passed away someone stopped my aunt in a bowling alley and said You know, your grandfather was known because he would sort of go around to all the people he knew around sort of international tournament times, and he would start talking about this person or that person, this youth or that youth that he knew that no one else knew, but he knew. And he would say, we've got to get this kid on this trip. We've got to get this kid on this trip. Now, my grandfather never had a lot of money, but what he had were a lot of relationships. What he had was credibility within the bowling community. When my grandfather spoke about the sport, whether it was technique or whether it was the future of the sport or whether it was a rising or emerging star in the sport, people would listen. And he helped, I don't know how many people, because the stories are lost, but at least one that we know of, and based on that one, many more. People get to these tournaments. People fall in love with the sport. All because my grandfather was generous with his advocacy. He was generous with his advocacy. He was generous with his credibility. And he opened doors for people that they couldn't open for themselves. Because they didn't have the finances and they didn't have the relationships. Many of us have access to places and circles that others don't. Many of us will be heard in situations where others won't even have the opportunity to speak let's become aware of that let's pay attention to that and then let's be intentional about the opportunities that provides us to be generous to open doors for others to speak on their behalf who knows what kind of impact it might have who knows Barnabas does it for Paul and it changes the course of church history when we next encounter Barnabas, the message of Jesus is now spreading. It's spreading more widely to non-Jewish communities, which is a new phenomenon. And it's creating some tension that God has been at work to diffuse. A mixed community that has been developing in Antioch, which is now modern-day Turkey, is, is, has emerged. And God's blessing is clearly among them. The news of how God's blessing is in this community gets back to the church community in Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 11. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the, what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. So Barnabas gets sent to Antioch. And while he's there, he recognizes that the hand of God is at work. And he decides to stay there for a while. And of course, because Barnabas is there, what's one of the things that he does? He encourages. It just flows out of him naturally. And then there's even more growth. There is fruit upon fruit when Barnabas brings his particular brand of generosity there. It's a great situation, and he is a key leader in the church. People are looking to him. He is in some ways at the center along with God of what's going on. But what does he do? Does he set up shop there? Does does he create the Barnabas franchise of the church? No. He leaves He leaves this fantastic situation to go get Paul. Why? So that Paul can experience this as well. So that he can be part of this as well. And he brings Paul in and they spend a year together getting to be part of what God is doing in this community. And more and more people end up being blessed. More and more people end up coming to faith. Who does something like that? Who gives up the platform, the spotlight, the opportunity? Who lets it go? Someone who lives with an open hand and with an open heart. Where it might feel natural to hold on to availability, to time, to platform, to success. Generous people open their hands and open their hearts. Paul's had some success already, but this is a completely different level. This is an upgrade to Paul's experience, and Barnabas doesn't hoard it. Barnabas doesn't hoard it. He doesn't make it about himself. He holds this loosely. He holds this loosely. Uh, At my last engineering job, I was pretty young, and uh, I was in charge of a pretty big project. My task was to design a whole machine, and I was very much out of my element. For all that I told the company when they interviewed me that I could totally do that, that was young confidence in need of a job, not actually reality. Um, And and my engineering manager was a number of years older than me. He had lots of experience. and, um, And, you know, there came a point where I reached sort of the end of my ability. I didn't know how to solve this problem that we had. And so we worked long hours. We worked hard. He had his own projects. But one day he saw me feeling stuck. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay after work is done. We're going to figure this out. So, so after work was done, after everybody left, he and I sort of buckled down in his office. He put up a whiteboard, and he started to ask me questions and draw up on the board. And when I would get stuck, he would sort of give me a little nudge and help me lead to the next part of the solution. Now, there was a good chance that he knew how to solve this problem. He knew a way to do it. But he saw something in me. He saw that because I was less experienced but came from a different perspective, I was approaching the problem from a different angle, and he saw potential there. And rather than solve it for me, he started to tease out and add his experience and his knowledge to what I had. And by the time we were done, we came up with a unique solution. A solution that was born in part from my creativity but was actually, inact- was actually actionable because of his expertise, it led to a patent. And that patent has both our names on it. My engineering manager could have solved the problem on his own, could have come with a perfectly viable solution. Maybe it wouldn't have been a patent, but it would have been perfectly viable for the company. But he was willing to give up his time. He was willing to open up sort of his expertise for the sake of of giving me an opportunity. A unique opportunity to be able to say that before the age of 25, I had designed an entire machine, patented it, and been able to take it to a trade show and have it perform well. That was a unique opportunity I got because he was generous. He was generous. Where maybe he would have wanted to go home and be with his family, he stayed a little bit longer. Well, maybe he would have wanted to solve the problem rather than work it out with an inexperienced pup, as he used to call me. He teased out what was there in order to encourage me. He opened his hands. He opened his mind. He opened his heart. He was generous. There's something I don't want us to miss in the midst of this passage because there's a phrase that it might be easy to look past. It says this of Barnabas. It says that he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. God's presence and his love for God were noticeable. Now, calling him a good man might seem obvious, Everything we read about Barnabas tells us that he's a good man. And I would agree. But here's why it's particularly noteworthy that he's called a good man. In the New Testament, there are only three ways that the phrase good man is used. One is it's used to to denote a virtuous example. So a good man does this, for example. Second is it's used to describe Jesus. And third, it's used to describe Barnabas, the encourager, the generous man. That's some really good company to be in. But that's one of the fruits of being generous. Generous people are noticed. Generous people are looked up to. Generous people set an example others want to follow. Open-handed and open-hearted people stand out because what they live is an admirable life. It's the life that many would want to live, that many would want the freedom to be able to partake in, and the generous people have figured it out, that it's about living with the eternal perspective. It's about living in the community of Jesus. It's about having open hands and open hearts. We're not going to read any more passages, but I want to highlight one last thing about Barnabas' story. Later on, Barnabas and Paul are going to part company. They They brought on a younger guy who seems to have messed up on one occasion, and while Barnabas wants to stick with the guy, Paul is done. Paul is done, so they part company. Barnabas sticks with the young guy. He keeps investing in him, and at some point, this guy rejoins Paul in his work. In the meantime, Paul takes on another companion on the journey. Paul is a key player in the gospel, reaching further and further out from Jerusalem, and he brings this young guy along as he goes further and further out of Jerusalem. He gives this young guy opportunities. That sound familiar? He gives the young guy opportunities, advocates for him, opens doors for him, sets him up in positions of leaders of leadership, and then writes him letters. We know some of those letters as first and Second Timothy, and they are noteworthy for the tone of encouragement that they carry. And encouragement is not the first thing that we think of when we think of Paul's writings. But it's like Barnabas' fingerprints end up all over Paul, all over his ministry, all over his life. And that's because generous-heartedness multiplies and it spreads. It multiplies and it spreads. It has outsized impact. And it leaves a trail of blessing behind it. Barnabas's generosity impacted not just Paul, it impacted Timothy, it impacted countless others throughout Asia, throughout the known world. We are living, we are living in the outworking of the kind of generosity that Barnabas and that first community showed. It multiplies and spreads. It multiplies and spreads. What might be possible if you and I Live with open hands and open hearts. What might be possible if you and I are just a little bit more generous than we are now? What might it do for us as a community if we are known as a network of mutuality where there is no needy among us? What might it do as it spreads out to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our workplaces, if generosity spreads there? That's the challenge and the invitation today to dream in light of eternity for what it might look like to live fully with open hands and open hearts, to be a community that thrives, that is resilient, that is strong, because in our generosity, we hold each other up. Let's be those kind of people. Let's open our hands, let's open our hearts. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you are generous first. You give, you love, you give, you love, you give, you love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that if we were to poll the people in this room, there would be story of open hands and open hearts. Thank you that if we polled this room and the folks online and the folks who are watching at a later date, we would find stories of open hands and open hearts in their lives. Lord, we want to be people that are not just marked by stories, but whose lives are known as being open-handed and open-hearted. Lord, thank you that in light of eternity, we don't have to live fearing that time will run out, that resources will run out, that if we give, we will find ourselves lacking. Thank you, Lord, that you graft us into a community where when generosity is the norm, we never have to fear being in need because those around us will give. Make us those kind of people, Lord community is looking for it. The world longs for it. We want to step into it. In Jesus' name, amen.